Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today as we continue our preview of the upcoming Braves season. Today, we move away from that starting lineup that we focused on for the first seven episodes, and today we're going to talk about the starting pitching. And the starting pitching for the Atlanta Braves, I think for most people, they believe that this is going to be one of the strengths of the team after a 2020 season where the starting pitching was absolutely and undeniably the weakness of the team. So I'm really excited. Unlike when we were doing the individual player profiles for the starting uh, the starting batting order, we're going to talk about a lot of different guys today. We're going to kind of break it up into a few different groups, but I hope you enjoy the preview today of the starting pitching, and I hope you're getting excited for the upcoming season. So thank you so much for listening, and let's have some fun. Let's get a little bit of backstory, a little bit more kind of conversation about this brave starting lineup, or the starting rotation, rather, and and just kind of think back a couple of years ago. You know, it was 2018 when Mike Fultonavich was an all-star for the Braves, um, and now he's not on the team. He wasn't a factor last year. The Braves, after his first start of the uh, season, just designated him for assignment. He ended up being on the team. He's now, uh, he, he's now with somebody in the American League. I can't remember who it is. But there's been a lot of turnover. And I think what's funny about the starting rotation is that there was a time when we had heard so many different names. You know, right kind of in that 2017, even early 2018 uh, time period, there were so many different guys that the Braves had in the pipeline that were expected to be a part of the starting rotation at some point in the future. And obviously, I remember thinking that, man, it it feels like we have a thousand pitchers and we don't have anything else. And the commentators would talk about it on the during the games. You had the the guys that write for the MLB.com, like Bowman and and guys like that, David O'Brien. They would all say you can never have too much pitching. And they were they turned out to be right because so many of the guys that we thought were going to be a part of this rotation, even just two or three years ago, they just didn't pan out. And then you have some prospects like Luis Gohara, Colby Allard, um, guys like this that, that just never made it. And if they did get kind of a cup of coffee, I think Colby Allard might have started one game. I think Gohara might have started one game. But those guys just didn't last. And so the, over the last couple of years, the Braves have really tried to kind of piece things together in hopes that some more of these young studs would continue to get older, continue to get better, and eventually they'd be able to put together a staff primarily of the young guys that they've been waiting for the maturation process to get to the point where they can contribute on the major league level. This is that year. We're there. Welcome to the reality that Alex Anthopoulos and John Coppola and Everybody before that was hoping that this team would ultimately get to investing so much in starting pitching, trading, uh, you know, viable options in different parts of the of, of different parts of the team to get to stockpile these starters. This is what it was all for this season, the next season and now the next few seasons where the Braves seemed at this point to be poised to go on a, a very strong run. Anybody that's crazy enough to compare this potential run and this potential pitching staff 
to the run we had in the 90s and the guys we had in the 90s would be doing themselves a, a huge disservice. They'd be fools for saying it out loud. And they'd be putting undue pressure on the, the these young starters the Braves have now. So let's start working through what I feel will be the starting rotation. Everybody gets really excited and kind of really focused on, okay, well, who's the number one and who's the number two and who's the number three? None of that matters in the regular season. Baseball puts a pretty big emphasis on if you, you're the opening day starter. That seems to be kind of a, you know, kind of a, a holy place. That opening day still is special. When you play 162 games over the course of, you know, about six months, it's hard to, to feel like one game in particular is special until September and when they matter. But opening day matters. After that, it doesn't really matter what the rotation is until you get into the playoffs. And then it matters because it's about matchups. And then you want your best guy, you know, theoretically going against their best guy. It seems all, all evidence at this point and all indications are that Max Free will be getting the opening day start for the Braves this year. Um, I think that's great. I, I, I don't want to read too much into it, you know, but I think it's a, a, a good reward, if that makes sense, for a guy who over the last two years has absolutely been fantastic. So let's go back to 2019. Now, that was the year that Freed won 17 games, led the team in wins. He was 17-6 and six with a 4.2, 4.02 ERA. Um, and that was the year where Freed really benefited big time from a lot of run support. I mean, it was it was insane how much run support Freed got compared to, you know, the average in the National League, but even the other guys on the team. You had some guys that were pitching really well uh, start after start, but not getting any run support and not picking up any wins. Meanwhile, Freed was getting all kinds of run support during that 2019 season. Last year, Freed was 7-0 and with a 2.25 ERA. He had 50 strikeouts in his... Uh, like 11 starts. He won the gold glove. He was fifth in the Cy Young voting. And all of this in a season where Mike Soroka went down in his third start of the year, and the Braves had to have Max Freed. I, I don't think it can be overstated. He was 7-0. and The Braves needed all seven of those wins. Every time Freed came around in the rotation, they the Braves needed not only for – Freed to win the game, but to be able to pitch deep into the game to give the team an opportunity because you didn't know the other four times through the rotation. Sometimes you didn't know who was going to be taking the ball. So many different guys got starts last year, and so many times those starts were ineffective, and the bullpen was just completely shot for most of the year. So Max Freed not only performed excellent, he performed excellent when he had to. The Braves had to have it, and he was absolutely spectacular last year. And because of that, because of the 2019 season that he had, which was really his breakout year, because he stepped up in the way that he did, I think the honor of having the opening day start would justly go to Max Freed, the left-hander. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in a little piece of information on each one of these pitchers just to kind of give you an idea of where the Braves are right now. Max Freed will not be eligible for free agency until 2025. Now, that doesn't mean he's a super cheap option until then. His arbitration years uh, are going to be – his compensation will be based on his performance compared to other people uh, in the league performing at 
his same kind of level of performance. So these guys, even in their their last year or two of our arbitration, can still get pretty expensive for the team. But compared to the the big money deals that are out there for starting pitching, and when we talk about some of the free agent signings the Braves have made even just this year, when you look at the kind of the level of starter that you're getting on free agent market and what you're spending for that guy, these guys, these young guys are going to be a deal for a long time. Even once you are paying them a higher annual salary, you're still not going to be paying them fair market value at the end of their arbitration eligible years. So Freed is the guy. It seems like he's going to be lined up to pitch opening day. And again, I'm not going to get too hung up now on the the rest of the order, but I'll just go the order. I've got them written down here. Mike Soroka, uh, coming back from an injury, everybody knows he was absolutely excellent last year, the little bit that we saw him. And last year's what if. The, the what if for the Braves and Braves fans, and I, I don't think it'll ever go away. It's obviously unanswerable, so it's no reason to spend too much time dwelling on it. But given the way the NLCS played out, given the way everything in the season played out, it's hard to believe that the Braves would not have won the World Series last year if Mike Soroka had not gotten injured. Now, ifs and buts and all of that stuff, but uh, the Braves were so incredibly close. Three opportunities to knock the Dodgers out. Couldn't get the job done. The Dodgers go on to win the World Series. I do believe the Braves would have beaten Tampa, um, even without Soroka, had they advanced past the Dodgers. But it, it it will always haunt me to wonder what, what might have been. And that's the thing about the run in the 90s. There were so many close calls, 91, 96, 90, well, I guess those were the close calls. But the, the Braves in the World Series time and time again and not getting the job done. You know, even 93, losing to the Phillies, 98, losing to the Padres, getting swept out of the World Series uh, in 99. It, all, it didn't always end well for the Braves. Most of the time, as we know as Atlanta for, sports fans, it doesn't end well. But it never felt in the 90s, and even in the early part of the 2000s, it never felt like the team was unlucky. It just felt like they ultimately would get beat. And a lot of times, the guys getting beat were the guys you were depending on. You know, he, he, Maddox, Glavin, or Smoltz would get rocked, and that's you get knocked out of a series because your guys – didn't perform like guys. I think what was hardest to swallow is that so often last year, your guy, Max Freed, and even the young guys that came up towards the end of the season, Ian Anderson in particular, they pitched like guys. We just didn't have enough guys. And so that's where the hope is this year things are going to be different. So getting back to Soroka, which started all of that, in 2019, Soroka was an all-star, 13-4, and 2.68 ERA, and 174 innings. Now, Mike Soroka, you saw publications. I've seen a lot. If you're like me, you really kind of, this time of the year, you're keeping an eye on everybody, whether it's on Facebook or anybody on Twitter or whatever. You're looking around for anybody that's got some prognostications. And I believe the only reason any of us look at these is to get ticked off because the reality is None of these guys know anything. You know, most of these things I've seen have have got the Mets winning the East and, you know, doing all of, you know, the Met things that everybody expects, the New York teams and the L.A. teams and, you know, the big market teams. That That's who sells papers. That's who sells 
that's what gets clicks, you know. But for me, it it's just crazy to think how good this Brave starting rotation could be. Yes, does it go name for name right now with the Mets or, you know, with some of, you know, the Dodgers or whatever? When you say the names on those teams, you think, wow, well, the Brave starting pitch is just not where it should be. I don't know that the Braves don't have the best starting pitching in, in baseball. And we could find out by the end of this year that that is the case. Because Mike Soroka, for his injury, a lot of people thought he was going to be out an extended period of time. Some people thought he was going to be out all the way, you know, until the latter part of May. Then, uh, then I've seen other people kind of prognosticating that he won't be back until early May. At this point, the indications, barring a setback, seem that he will only miss maybe one or two starts at the beginning of the season. It it seems to me that by the middle of April, you will probably see Mike Soroka back. The team is conservative. The Braves have always been a conservative franchise. You know, the joke was always that if you told Bobby you were ready to play that day, he'd say, okay, great, be ready tomorrow. Uh, he'd always give you one more day. Brian Snicker, very much the same. So, it, it it made me think that at the beginning of the year, the Braves were going to be super careful with Soroka. But his recovery seems to be going so well that the Braves, even the conservative Braves, can't really find a reason to keep him out for more than another week or two past the start of the season. So we'll see how it progresses. I think if there's any slight indication that he has a setback, that they will go ahead and hold him out longer. But the earlier Soroka comes back, the, the earlier you could think he might be able to get back into the swing of things. I don't think you can expect Soroka to come back and in his first start go six or seven innings of, you know, three-hit ball and be the Mike Soroka that we saw in 2019. He, he, it's going to take him some time, you would expect. And so Soroka's importance to this team is a lot more how he's pitching and how healthy he is in August and September and hopefully October. It's way more important that he's ready at that time of the year than if him being ready in the middle of April. Moving on down my list, uh, Ian Anderson. The beautiful, wonderful surprise that the Braves fans, the gift, the early Christmas gift for Braves fans last year. You know, this is a name. I talked earlier in the podcast about the names that we had heard. This was one of those names that we had heard about for a couple of years. And when he finally got his first start, it was against the Yankees and Garrett Cole. And you start wondering, okay, is there any way that this guy can live up to expectations? And it was just so amazing to see him actually live up to expectations. In the regular season, he was 3-2 and two with a 1.95 ERA. He had 41 strikeouts in 32 innings. He was absolutely spectacular. Now. The 32 innings, obviously, short season. They didn't let him go deep a lot of the time. Um, his pitch count got up a little bit in a couple of the games. But his mound presence, his stuff, everything about Ian Anderson told you that he was ready from prime, for prime time as soon as he was brought up. And then he showed it in the postseason where he was 2-0, and 18 postseason innings pitched, 18.2 uh, innings pitched in four starts. The Braves were three and one in his four starts. He had two earned runs and 24 strikeouts in those 18.2 innings pitched. Ian Anderson was the reason that the Braves were 
within a hair of the World Series last year because when Freed was pitching the way Freed did, he was dependable. You had to have at least one more guy to go with him. And that's when Ian Anderson ended up being in the second half of the short season last year and for the playoffs. The exciting part about Ian Anderson is he is not free agent eligible to 2027. So he is going to be around for a long while. Um, to see him over the course of this full season, it's going to be very interesting. Okay, There's not many guys, if any guys, who are able to come in, pitch the way he did, and never end up having a setback. So with these young guys, the, the downside is that at some point, the league is going to fin- figure them out a little bit. And then it'll be on them to make adjustments. What's been so impressive about Mike Soroka, he hasn't really had that happen to him. And not so much with the mechanics or the stuff. Ian Anderson's stuff, quite frankly, is better than Mike Soroka's stuff. But Anderson, more than any other pitcher that I've seen in the Braves organization since Soroka came up, Anderson has a very similar mound presence to Soroka. He, he just doesn't seem to get rattled. He seems calm. You know, Freed, when he's on the mound, seems like he's making a mad face and he's trying to be really intense. Soroka and Anderson look like they could just be at like a poetry reading or sitting in a library somewhere or like sitting in line at the DMV. These guys look like their heart rate never gets over about 15 beats per minute. And so it's really for me, Ian Anderson is the guy in this starting rotation because I think I know what I have with Max Freed. I think I know what I have with Mike Soroka once he's back to being 100%. Ian Anderson is the wild card here because if he is Soroka-esque, then this Braves rotation is going to be the best in baseball. Moving past those first three young guys, let's talk about Charlie Morton. This year's version and a much better version of Cole Hamels. You know, everything about Cole Hamels last year it it was so obvious to, I think, a lot of Braves fans that we were getting a guy not only at the end of his career, but a guy that didn't have a whole lot left at the end of his career. I've talked about it already after the signing a couple of months ago. Charlie Morton, age-wise, experience-wise, you, you can kind of compare him to Cole Hamels. Salary-wise, you know, one year, $15 million, you can compare him to Cole Hamels. What you can't do is compare Cole Hamill's previous two or three seasons in Major League Baseball to what we've seen out of Charlie Morton over the last couple of years. 2020, not anything spectacular. Two and two with a 4.74 ERA. He made nine starts. He woke up and he remembered who he was in the playoffs. He was three and one uh, in the playoffs for Tampa last year. In those three wins, 15.2 innings pitched. Um, one earned run and 17 strikeouts in that 15 and two-thirds innings pitch. Uh, he got absolutely lit up by the Dodgers in the World Series, uh, five runs and, and four and a third innings. So not great in the World Series, but overall in the playoffs, very good. What you have to remember is Charlie Morton in 2018 and 2019 was an all-star both years. In two years combined, he was 31-9 and nine with a sub-3-2 ERA. This guy has been, over the last couple of years, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And the Braves were able to bring him in on a one-year deal to supplement these young guys. And for his career, he's averaged 190 innings pitched per season. So this is a workhorse. This is somebody that the Braves should be able to 
run out there every five days and get quality start after quality start out of him. And that's why the Braves made the financial investment that they did in Charlie Morton. So moving on to our next guy, and this is going to be, we're going to take a little break after this and talk about the rest of the rotation. But once Soroka is back, those are going to be your, your, your kind of, your solid four, I think. You got Freed, Soroka, Anderson, and Morton. That's your four. The question is going to be about the fifth starter role. Now, listening to the other Braves podcasts that I listen to, Grant McCauley and 755 is Real and uh, all of those guys, it seems for them that it is a foregone conclusion, at least at the beginning of the season, that Drew Smiley is in this rotation. Now, I don't know if that's because he's a lefty and that would give the Braves rotation a little bit more balance with three righties and Soroka, Anderson, and Morton, and then two lefties in Freed and Smiley. I don't know if it's because they're going to give him every opportunity to pitch because they did go ahead and pay him $11 million to pitch this year, uh, or if what they've seen of Drew Smiley with two eyes in uh, spring training has shown them that he has found something towards the middle to latter part of his career. So Smiley is a 35 and 35 pitcher in his career, 4.13 ERA. He's got a strikeout the raw ratio of three to one. So he's he's fine, nothing special. You know, when it looked like the Braves didn't have the money to sign Marcelo Zuna, Smiley was the one that really frustrated me the most. The idea that we'd have $11 million for Drew Smiley but not have money for Marcelo Zuna made me crazy. Um, but it seems, based on just the – kind of consensus among the guys who are the closest to the team and seem to be in the know, it seems that Smiley is going to be that fifth guy, at least to start with, once Soroka is back. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, the whole kind of idea around Smiley is that he picked up a couple of miles per hour in his velocity last year with San Francisco, and apparently that is some key indicator for the Braves that maybe he's found something. And he's, he's looked pretty good in spring. So hopefully that keeps up, but I, it's hard for me to get excited about a guy who has pitched as long as he has in the majors and has been as average as he is. Um, maybe it's just, maybe it's dumb, but I would rather the fifth start, the fifth starter be a guy who's young and can, can progress rather than what I feel was probably overpaying for a guy and hoping that, you know, it, it turns out okay. You know, we all got real excited after like two innings of Tommy Malone last year, and then Tommy Malone did his best Cole Hamels and uh, took the money and run. So Smiley is the guy of, the, of these main five uh, that I'm the least excited about. Nothing against him. He could end up being a great signing. It could end up being that he really kind of transforms himself. He is in that situation where he's on a one-year deal and has an opportunity to make himself some money over the next couple of years if he was able to, you know, really perform well this year for the Braves. So there's all the incentive in the world to see the best of Drew Smiley. The question is just going to be how good can the best Drew Smiley with two Ys actually be? So we've covered the five guys that it seems like are going to get the first shot to be in the, the starting rotation. But over the last couple of weeks, there's been more and more talk. And I, and I have to admit, this is not something that I had really considered. But there's been more and more talk about the fact that the biggest repercussion 
that the 2021 season is going to have after the shortened season in 2020 is the fact that it's unlikely that many of the starting pitchers who were not able to throw as much as they would have normally thrown in a regular season last year, it's unlikely that they'd be able to go out and pitch 160, 70, 180 innings this year. And if that is the case, almost every franchise in baseball is going to need to come up with six, seven, potentially eight starters that they use throughout the year. It's going to be interesting to see how different organizations handle this. You know, you could have the old uh, pitching shoulder fatigue a couple of times throughout the year for each guy. You could have some teams experiment with a six-man rotation. You know, sometimes things like this just, they, they work themselves out where you have a guy go down with an injury for a little while. You know, hopefully nothing major, but it's going to be interesting to see how different teams handle the fact that a lot of these guys, even if they pitch the entire year and into the playoff, they only pitched 65, 70, 80 innings last year. And how will their arms respond in the middle of this season to throwing so much more than they did last year? Will there be any repercussions from that? Then you have to wonder, okay, kind of the the Strasburg question from the Nationals in the early 2010s. Do you really want to roll somebody out there and have them pitch a lot in April, May, and June only to come to find out that they don't have the arm strength to pitch in September and October when you really need them? So it's going to be very interesting to see how that uh, is handled. And so for the Braves, this is where the depth that they have at the starting position, at the starting pitching position, really could come into play more this year than even in a normal year. So uh, it was announced just in the last 48 hours or so that Bryce Wilson, well, it wasn't announced that Bryce Wilson is going to be the fifth starter when Soroka's on the bench early in the year, but they optioned Kyle Wright to uh, to AAA camp. So it was then kind of default you could see that it's going to be Bryce Wilson that's going to get those at least first couple of starts in the Soroka position. So now the question will be, obviously, how long is Soroka out? And then how does Bryce Wilson pitch? And if Wilson pitches really well when Soroka comes back, do they try a six-man rotation? Do they try, you know, is is somebody else in the starting rotation? Drew Smiley, for instance, is he struggling? Um, You know, Bryce Wilson completely changed, I think, most Braves fans and my perspective on him over the course of just six innings in Game 4 of the National League Championship Series. It wasn't so much the stuff, and I think that's where, when you're talking about Wilson or Wright, Tukey, Newcomb, all the guys that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes here, they all have good stuff. I mean, they're all talented pitchers, and and when you watch them, they can all you know, maneuver the baseball in ways that are impressive. I think what was so impressive about Bryce Wilson is in the biggest moment, you know, it was a 2-1 lead for the Braves going into game four with Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the Dodgers. The assumption is that Clayton Kershaw would be Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers would win that game, tie the series up at two, and then march toward the World Series. What happened was 
Bryce Wilson, over the course of six innings, one hit, it was a solo home run, five strikeouts, one walk, dominated the Dodgers and gave the Braves a commanding 3-1 lead in the series. The fact that the Braves couldn't close it out is the only reason that Wilson's efforts in Game 4 aren't remembered in, you know, kind of the the pantheon of Braves lore uh, of one of the greatest starts, postseason starts in the team's history because it didn't end up paying off with a trip to the World Series and eventually a World Championship. But his start in Game 4 was remarkable. One, obviously he pitched well. That's great. But his demeanor, his his aggressiveness, you know, for some of these young guys we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, their biggest issue has been an inability or unwillingness to be aggressive and pound the strike zone. And what was so impressive about what Bryce Wilson did is he just seemed to lock in and find a different mentality that we hadn't seen in the few starts that he had made before that. So Wilson is going to get some starts early in the season. It will be interesting to see what happens after that. Obviously, the next guy in my, you know, kind of mind here would be Kyle Wright. Wright, for his career, 2-7, and seven, 622 ERA. He had started putting it together a little bit towards the end of last season. Um, you know, the first few starts that he had when he first got called up from the alternate training site last year, he would come out and he would look great for two innings, and and then in the, either the third or the fourth inning, he 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 wouldn't be able to get out of the inning. It's like he forgot how to pitch all of a sudden, and so that part kind of fixed itself. He was able to pitch deeper into games, and you know, against Miami in the divisional series or in the second round of the playoffs, whatever we're calling that now. Six innings, no runs, seven Ks. Uh, he looked great. Obviously, he had the opposite of the Bryce Wilson start. Uh, with the Braves leading 2-0 in Game 3 against the Dodgers in the NLCS. Uh, Kyle Wright wasn't able to make it out of the first inning. Uh, his ERA in that game, just because I was looking up the numbers, this is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, 94 and a half was his ERA. He, he recorded two outs uh, in that game. He did not get out of the first inning. He gave up seven runs, um, as bad as it possibly could be. And that's what it was for Kyle Wright. And and if you've seen him at all, the numbers or his performance in the spring, I'm not sure that he's not still fighting that a little bit. Um, he has not looked great. He got lit up a little, a couple of different times, or not lit up, not like what happened in the playoffs, but had a couple of shaky starts, and, and it, it, it made it very clear between Wright and Wilson who would have that Soroka start uh, spot to start the season. So... That's seven names that I gave you. And I think, you know, again, with the overall picture being that Freed, Soroka, Anderson, and Charlie Morton seem to be guys that are are near mortal locks for the rotation. To have the depth of a Smiley, Wilson, and Wright, all of which different circumstances that we've kind of already talked about and covered, but if your rotation is four deep and then you have a rookie or a really young guy like a Kyle Wright or a Bryce Wilson in there, that's not a bad rotation. That is not a bad thing. If you have a solid starting four, the way it seems like on paper the Braves do, and you have a veteran guy like Drew Smiley as your fifth starter, that is not a bad place to be. So these seven really give the Braves a lot of depth. And if I told you that Ian Anderson struggles a little bit and that meant that Bryce Wilson was going to get some more starts, you wouldn't feel like, oh, no, it's all falling apart. Now, past those seven guys, 
you still have three other guys with starting experience that are at least going to be around the franchise between Atlanta and Gwinnett. Sean Newcomb and Tuki Toussaint are two guys who three years ago, you might have said, oh, well, that guy's going to be in the starting rotation at this point in his career. It has not worked out for them. And for both of them, the inconsistency has been the issue. You know, for Tuki, he has just been completely unable to get his control in a way, you know, that to, to, to be able to consistently throw that curveball for strikes and then be able to throw the fastball and the changeup off of the curve. He if he can't locate the curve, he he can't get people out. His his fastball and his changeup are fine, but they only work if that insanely good curveball is being thrown for strikes. And he's had trouble with that. For Newcomb, it it feels like he may not get any more opportunities, at least in a starting role. Um, the last couple of times that they tried him in that role, Snit just pretty much seemed like he, they they just were at their wits' end. You know, um, he he gets up there, he gets ahead of guys in the count, and then he starts nibbling. And it's amazing to watch a professional baseball player who you know is talented, and and, and Sean Newcomb may be one of the more talented guys that we've talked about today. In all seriousness, when you just talk about talent, uh, arm talent, and and the ability to pitch, Sean Newcomb is as good as anybody else that's on this staff right now. He just, there's something wrong in, inside. There's something wrong in his mentality that does not allow him to consistently throw strikes. And the pressure that you can physically see manifest itself on him during a start while he is focusing on doing nothing but throwing strikes, um, what ends up happening is that then he ends up grooving them and getting hit. And so you hope that if it gets down to a guy like Newcomb or Tukey, that maybe that they can, they can find something. They can, they can put it together. Um, another, another guy that really I think was kind of an unsung hero last year with, was uh, Husker Yona. You know, he he came in and, you know, he didn't have great numbers. He never had that Bryce Wilson in the playoff kind of start. You know, he wasn't Max Freed. But when this team needed somebody to go out there and, and pitch four or five innings a couple of times uh, in September, he was able to do that and do it effectively enough to let the offense stay in the game. So Yona is a guy who – in a pinch, in a long relief situation, who who could contribute to this team maybe in other ways. I think Sean Newcomb could really be a very good relief pitcher if they just decide, hey, this is what we're going to do, this is who he's going to be, and this is where we're going to leave him. Not sure that they're going to do that. Um, I, I don't know how the bullpen's going to work out. We're going to talk about that here in the next couple of days. But there's a lot more questions to me and a lot more options in the bullpen. But Newcomb is at least a guy, along with Tukey and along with Yona, who have some starting experience at the major league level if you get that deep. Now, when we talk about those three guys, that, that is now 10 starting pitchers that we have discussed. You know, traditional Starting rotation has five. The Braves have 10 people who at least have some level of experience. I'm not saying that our rotation will be fine if we're if we're dependent on Newcomb and Tukey to, to make a lot of starts this year. However, I do think the fact that there's this kind of depth is a huge advantage for the Braves, maybe over some other franchises. Um, 
past that, I'm going to give you three other names. And this is, according to MLB.com, these are the three highest rated uh, pitching prospects in the Braves organization right now that are not already, you know, they, they still have Ian Anderson listed as the, the number two prospect behind Pache. So they're both Pache and Anderson still listed as uh, prospects on this, on this list. But Kyle Mueller is a guy who's like 700 feet tall. No kidding, he's six seven and just a an, an absolute beast. I mean, uh, right-handed guy throws really hard. Apparently, has a very good curveball. So that is a guy, kind of like Kyle Wright did last year. That if he had to come in and make a couple of starts, you'd be really it'd be appointment television. They go, hey, this is one of those guys. Another guy's Tucker Davidson. We heard a lot about Davidson last year as a potential guy that could come up and contribute. Even, you know, once Soroka went out and once we had the other issues in the starting rotation and Hamels never was able to get on the field, that was a guy that you heard about last year that could potentially come up and make a start. It never ended up happening, but the numbers that he, or I guess what he was doing at the alternate site was very encouraging to a lot of guys. So Tucker Davidson could be another person that the Braves, maybe not this year, but maybe in the next couple of years could could depend on. And then the last one is Giselle De La Cruz. I don't know very much about that guy, but he is listed in the top 10 of the prospects on MLB.com, so it's obvious that he has some talent. Um, they kind of do this little thing where they project when each player would be ready to come to the major league team. Um, for Mueller and for Davidson, they were listed as 2021. But for De La Cruz, he was listed at 22. So obviously he's a little bit behind the other guys as far as his development. But when we're talking starting pitching and we're talking brave starting pitching and last year it felt like, you know, we were pretty close to just having open tryouts for people to come. If you could throw a strike, you might've been able to make a start for the Braves last year Um, to have the amount of depth and the amount of experience that you have in the starting rotation now is a huge compliment, not only to the development of the younger guys that we talked about early in the podcast, but really uh, you have to give Alex Anthopoulos credit for going out and getting somebody on the, on the level of a Charlie Morton and then going ahead and signing a Drew Smiley type. You know, I I mentioned uh, Tommy Malone earlier, but you don't want to find yourself in a position at the trade deadline again where you feel like you have to go out and just find somebody who knows how to make a major league start. You know, the Braves didn't give up a lot in that trade for Malone, but they basically went out and signed their own, you know, left-handed version now of Tommy Malone um, in Drew Smiley with two Ys because he's an insurance policy. You know, he's is, is he going to go out and win 20 games this year? No, I don't think any of our starters are going to do that. But he at least could go out and, you know, eat up some innings for you and have and have a professional outing uh, if you need him to do that. And so I think what the Braves have been able to do from the starting rotation standpoint has been really impressive. It reminds me a lot of the summer of 2019 when the team seemed like they were poised for success except for the bullpen and Alex went out and just completely you know in the two weeks leading up to the trade deadline that year with Martin Melanson and Green completely revamped the bullpen and all of a sudden what was a gaping hole in the team became the strength of the team 
And in the same way, I really feel like the starting rotation seems to be poised to do the same thing. Whereas last year, it felt like you, you couldn't find a starter. Now, all of a sudden, it really does feel like the starting rotation for this team could be on par with the offense. And if that's true, then we do have a World Series contender on our hands. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. It was a little longer. I told you from the beginning that it was going to be, but we talked a lot about the starting pitching for the Braves this season. I'm very excited about watching some of these young guys progress. It, it's a fun time to be, to be a Braves fan. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the relief pitching. We're going to talk about the bullpen and uh, talk about who who's going to be the guys out there. I have to do a lot of research because, let's be honest, uh, we've lost some guys from last year's team, and there's a lot of question marks out there. Um, the The consensus around baseball is that the Braves are still going to have one of the best bullpens uh, in the National League and, and maybe in all of Major League Baseball. But when you really start looking around and realizing how bad bullpens are, I don't know how much of a compliment that is to the Braves and how much of that is just the fact uh, and kind of a <laughs> an overall – assessment of relief pitching in Major League Baseball right now. But we'll talk about the relief uh, situation tomorrow. Then we'll come back and talk about the bench and some kind of intriguing uh, options that the Braves may be able to use coming out of this camp. And along with the bench, we're going to talk about our manager. We're going to talk about Brian Snicker and some of the challenges that he may face in this 2021 season. We are getting so close to the start of the season. We're getting so close to wrapping up this preview of the season, and we'll be able to talk about results on the field. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day, and as always, go dogs.